there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, and you're very welcome to the Europolitics podcast. This is David Murphy, and we're joined in studio by Michal Lahan and Juliette Gash. Good afternoon to you both. How are afternoon. you doing? Good. Good. So we're here in Leinster House. It's slightly quieter than usual. The Doyle isn't sitting. It's back next Wednesday. But that doesn't mean that politics is quiet. Far from it. And the news of the day, Juliet, we'll talk about this now, is this move by South Africa bringing Israel to the International Court of Justice on Gaza. Um, It's an international story, but also has significant domestic political issues. shades to it because the Irish government isn't backing the position of South Africa. Obviously, the opposition take an entirely different view. And then there seem to be shades of difference of opinion within the coalition as well. But can you start, Juliette, by just telling us exactly what is the International Court of Justice? What does it do? So the International Court of Justice is the uh, UN's highest court. It sits in The Hague. Somewhat confusingly, um, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, also sits in The Hague, but is not bound by the UN. It's independent from it. And the ICC is perhaps a little more high profile in some people's minds, and it can pursue individuals for crimes like genocide and war crimes. So we will have seen big trials there with big famous names of war criminals. Um, But the ICJ is, I suppose... All parties to the UN can bring cases there. That includes South Africa, which is bringing this case. Um, Palestine became a signatory much later in like 2018. Um, Israel is also a signatory, as is Ireland. And um, there has been a lot of pressure put on Ireland, on the Irish government, to join that case or at least back it publicly, um, where there's been a bit more of a hands-off approach by the Irish government on that. So what exactly is the policy of the Irish government on this? Because we've heard many people in the opposition and in government express horror, shock, Mm. outrage at the loss of life in Gaza and in Israel too. Indeed. So the Taoiseach said, um, I believe last Sunday, speaking on the This Week programme, he was saying that um, that essentially the, the problem was the definition of genocide and ascribing that to to Israel was something that Leo Varadkar personally was uncomfortable with, uh, considering the history of Israel. It is a Jewish state and the Jewish people have, of course, experienced genocide themselves. Now, he did say that in his belief um, that it was very possible that both Hamas and Israel were guilty of war crimes. But again, there was a problem on the use of the term genocide and he wanted to be very careful about that term. Now, he has gone slightly further today or given an update on that today, speaking in Kosovo. Um, and he said that in it's, Ireland has made its position very clear in international forums, that it's deeply concerned that Israel may have committed these war crimes in Gaza. Um, but that it's a very particular matter and the ICJ genocide is a very particular matter and the ICJ may take years to make a decision on that um, and what's going to happen in the interim. However, he did say that if the ICJ puts an injunction on Israel and calls on it to stop the violence, Israel could ignore that as has done Russia in in, in their case, in their their invasion of Ukraine. So he did say once again, Ireland will be pushing for a two-state solution on this um, and, and watching what the ICJ says. Now, Micheál, there are different shades of opinion on this within government. We heard Eamon Ryan um, 
expressing a slightly different view. Yes, I mean, the, and the Greens have always had a, a strong view on this. And he said there are irrefutable facts in South Africa's case as presented uh, about what has happened in Gaza. And as well as that, I mean, from the Taoiseach today, there does seem to be a hint that if there is that order made fairly swiftly calling on Israel to stop, that Ireland could apply pressure at that point, uh, even if, 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 as Juliet said, it, it could well be ignored. The Taoiseach did say that too. But the, the government... I think taking heed of the political pressure that's really being applied on them here will try and say that if that order does come, that they they will back that order uh, and and seek to apply pressure in that way. But there's no doubt about it. There is unity across the opposition parties, at least, uh, when it comes to South Africa's case uh, and a call on government to to back it. Uh, Some saying that they have to do that anyway, uh, that they are obligated to do so, both morally, politically and under the UN Convention. Does it look bad for the government not to back South Africa? I think it looks bad today. I think up until now, uh, the government had some successes. They could point to hostages being freed. They could point their diplomatic approach. They could also point to the fact that at the EU level, Ireland was one of the governments that were seeking the European Union to take a stronger stance against Israel. And they can point to some success in that regard. I think today, given the focus on what's happening in The Hague, given the fact that it was an Irish lawyer uh, who was making uh, that fairly strong and very robust case uh, on behalf of South Africa, all that does put the government under a degree of pressure that it hasn't faced up to now on this particular point. Juliet, how effective would this be if there was a finding against Israel? I think, I suppose that's to be decided to be seen. Um, but as was pointed out by Leo Varadkar, a, a, a similar a case was made where Russia was told, you know, desist from from what you're doing by the International uh, Court of Justice and they just ignored it. Morally, one would think that Israel would have to take a pause and, and note this. You know, there are a lot of members of the United Nations and this essentially represents them. And so if the International Court of Justice says, no, this is genocide, you would think that this this would be a line in the sand. However, what we've seen so far from Israel is that it's very determined and very clear that it is defending itself um, from the attack in October by Hamas. And, and I I can't see them changing their position because of the ICJ. Miro, what's to stop the government actually backing South Africa? Is it really that it wants to remain within lockstep with other European countries? Yeah, I think it it wants to maintain influence at the EU level. Lutishuk, when he spoke about this on the 14th of November, when Sinn Féin had a motion down it during that dull debate, was saying, if you go too far out on a limb, you lose inf- influence and people stop listening to you. That seems to be in, at the core of the government's point on this. But today that looks a little bit more under pressure than it has up to now. And Juliet, one interesting thing is that the people who seem to have perhaps most influence with Israel is the US Mm -hmm. and the US uh, is saying Israel is an ally. It's expressing concern about the level of fatalities in Gaza, but it's certainly not stopping Israel from taking the action that it's doing. Is this potentially as well about US politics in the run up to a general election there that nobody wants to fall out with Israel considering the strength of that lobby in the United States? You'd have to think so. I mean, how many trips have we seen Anthony Blinken um, go on in in the Holy Land? Uh, you know, he meets with various representatives and and he comes back and, and, and there, there appears from the outside to be a lot of hand-wringing on this. And again, like you say, the US policy of, of not involving 
involving itself in wars, but also historically has a very strong relationship with Israel. And it's not just the Jewish community and the Jewish voters in the US, but also the evangelical Christians back very clearly Israel um, be, because of the sort of historical significance of, of the Jewish tribe, I suppose. And, and they will be looking at both sides in terms of, of, of Democrats and, and Conservatives, will be look, Republicans will be looking at that and thinking of, of voters and what do they think because of the presidential election coming up in November. Now, another area, Miho, where we've seen a variety of views within the government parties is on the issue of accommodation for refugees in Ballinrobe and County Mayo. And in Carlow, we've seen protests outside centres for accommodation for which were set up initially for single male applicants for international protection after those protests. We saw a change in position from the government um, when those centres were changed in terms of their use. They're now going to be used for families. The protesters went home. Ministers are saying it's not a U-turn, but it's definitely a change in policy. And we've seen some backbenchers within the government parties more or less siding with the protesters. Uh, we've seen councillors who've taken uh, an openly hostile approach to the government policy. But what's going on? Yeah, I mean, the government are at pains to point out that there aren't U-turns and that this particular scenario has happened four or five times, they say, in recent times. That is where accommodation has been earmarked for men seeking asylum here, uh, but then it's changed to women and children. They're saying that's because they are the priority group. But of course, there is no doubt, too, that there are protests taking place. And it does seem now on two occasions, verifiably so, that the local representatives have been told in advance that it is men who have been going, were going to go into Ballinrobe and then into Carlo most recently. And it did change at the last minute. Government said that's because the priority group is women and children. There are people on the ground to say it's not. It's to do with the protests. And of course, in Carlo, the Fianna Fáil backbencher, Jennifer Murnane O'Connor, uh, speaking about this, really taking a, a line uh, that probably goes beyond where the government is at or meant to be at in relation to it and showing the pressures that politicians are facing locally. So it's something that really has government in a bind now. And Eamon Ryan saying in recent days that men have human rights too and men coming here should be able to, to find a place to live. But where that's going to happen, particularly in, in areas uh, like Carlo, like Ballinrobe, it's hard to see at this point. I suppose longer term government are talking about building accommodation centres or acquiring them. Maybe that would happen much quicker. But before all that and in the height of winter, this crisis looks intense. And of course, it is an election year one way or the other with local and European elections anyway. And you mentioned local elections there. And we saw Leo Varadkar had councillors in his own party taking a very different position in terms of uh, one of the centres and really taking uh, opposing the, the government's policy in terms of housing um, single males. Yeah, and that that's consistent across the two big uh, government parties now. And I suppose it's inevitable in some ways if there is strong feeling on the ground and councillors are putting themselves forward for election. It's a difficulty for the political parties too because it may be even beneficial for some councillors to be expelled from their parties or suspended for a period. So that's a difficult balancing act as well uh, in the height of this. So it's it's hard to see how there's going to be a quick resolution to this. One of the central questions and demands seems to be that when it comes to consultation, that local representatives should be told in advance that something is happening. At the moment, they are told that 
it's a fait accompli really and that a contract has been signed and people are set to arrive very soon. The call from opposition and indeed from many within the government backbench ranks and councillors is that that consultation should actually be an open discussion. Now, of course, that doesn't allow for the, the swift movement of people and what is a crisis situation, the Department of Integration would say. Now, Juliet, you were reporting um, last week from Rings End, which is one of the sites where there was an arson attack on a a property which was going to be used for housing refugees. What was the reaction on the ground from politicians? Well, it was interesting because I suppose word went out that it was about to be used to house refugees. This the ship, what used to be the Shipwright Pub in Rings End, very close to the city centre in South County Dublin. Um, but actually, that was that was in error. It was never meant to be housing refugees. It was meant to house homeless people. Um, one would assume homeless Irish people. Um, and, and that was part of the problem. It was the site of protests in December. Locals didn't, uh, I suppose, didn't support this notion that would house asylum seekers um, or people seeking international protection. And a lot of local councillors were upset that they weren't given the information uh, ahead of time. Um, certain councillors, Dermot Lacey from Labour, was upset because he wasn't made aware of this. And then he was getting calls from constituents who were saying what's happening. And he was he is in the dark at this point. Now, he did secure an apology from the Dublin Region Homeless Executive afterwards, who said perhaps they could have been more proactive about informing councillors. But essentially, the DRHE was telling councillors who asked about the property um, and, and saying, well, this is going to house homeless people. The tragedy is that 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 building is was was fairly extensively gutted by the fire. And that means that 14 families can't be housed there, no one will be able to be housed there for a very long time because, I mean, the roof is gone and a lot of the building is very badly damaged. But councillors were upset, um, essentially, that they hadn't been informed ahead of time. Well, isn't this kind of part of the issue that the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive was taking flack? But in re- in reality, it was the arsonists who caused the problem. And a lot of people are asking hard questions, Michal, of the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, saying, where are the... Um, court cases in relation to this? Why haven't there been arrests? Why have we not seen people convicted for arson in relation to these cases? Yeah, and questions too about what is the level of consultation, I suppose, between the Department of Integration and the Gardaí. Uh, is that happening quick enough? Again, it all points to, to a degree of chaos, I suppose, uh, within the response uh, and that there isn't adequate, uh, we'll say, people working across government to, to ensure that there is security around these places. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's a crisis, isn't it? And it's, it's something that you can't see improving anytime soon, that there is, in, like in the last hour or so, I was speaking to a TD from the southern part of the country who said there have been several calls today about vacant buildings in their constituency. Someone saw a, a fill of oil going into one building and that created, you know, a sense of panic in the air again, uh, that that this was going to happen in that town. So it's very difficult to see how that's going to ease in the next while. And Helen McEntee has been playing a more prominent role in relation to this. Previously, a lot of it was falling into the lap of the integration minister, Roderick O'Gorman. But because the tensions have escalated, and I guess as well in the aftermath of the Dublin riots, she has to play a more prominent role in relation to the government reaction to this. Yeah, definitely. And they would, in the past, I suppose, justice would have been seen to be a lot more uh, part of this particular issue when it comes to asylum seekers and when it comes to accommodation. But of course, at the very beginning of this government, it did look like that whole new approach was going to be taken. But now it's it's a very different story, isn't it? And things have changed dramatically. 
Uh, but there is no doubt that there is now a security worry uh, around accommodation centres. And there has been for a while, but it's it's heightened in recent times. That was one thing that was uh, point made to me by, by Dermot Lace, the Labour councillor in the area, was that people who might have previously come forward with properties that were vacant will now not do so and are already pulling out because there is this risk of, of protests and at worst arson. OK, now we've got a very busy 12 months ahead in the world of politics. On the 8th of March, we're going to have the referendums on family and care. Uh, Julia, can you just explain for us exactly what people are going to be asked about? Yeah, so on March 8th, um, Women's Day, International Women's Day, we will have the joy of two referendums. Um, and there are two articles that are being uh, amended or struck out, essentially. But that will be that will be what's on on your on your paper. Um, one of it's broadly we're calling them the family and care referendums. But I suppose to many people, there's this woman in the home article, Article forty one point two. Although it's really about women not in the home. Exactly, exactly. That our place is not in the in the home. Thank goodness. Um, but essentially. That, that they will delete this article that talks about the woman's uh, role in the home, which, which without which common good cannot be achieved. And they're going to delete that and, and have a broader definition of care provided within the family. And then the other article is is uh, 41. And that one, it, currently they talk about the, the, the definition of the family um, being based on marriage. And that's going to be amended so that it's based on durable relationships instead, because four in 10 babies born here are born outside of marriage. And so it doesn't really reflect Irish society anymore. Michal, we've seen the first people taking positions on this. Some people have come out uh, in favour of the government position, uh, like the National Women's Council. But for the first time now, in the past 24 hours, we've seen one significant political figure advocating a no vote. Yeah, former Justice Minister and the former Attorney General, of course, Michael McDowell, uh, saying that he doesn't believe anything is broken in relation to that part of the Constitution, that it doesn't confine women's choices in any way, so there's no need to go about changing it. Also, question, If it ain't broke is the argument, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And also questioning that that word, which already has, I suppose, been put under some focus that is durable relationships in relation to the new definition of family, uh, saying that that's not clear enough. So what you what you do seem to have here at the outset already is this battle over the wording. This wording, of course, took a long time to draw up by the present Attorney General, Rasa Fanning, but already one of his uh, predecessors in that job is lining up to, to shoot it down. Michael McDoole himself says he's not leading anything. He merely wrote an article in a newspaper, but of course, in reality, it does seem now like a significant political player has entered the no side in this campaign. That's the way it looks. So the interesting thing about this is that this uh, question of a durable relationship came up in the first press conference um, when the government announced their plans formally to go ahead with this referendum. Roderick O'Gorman was asked about it. He said uh, that it would be up to the courts to define exactly what a durable relationship is. So maybe for the voters, that's a slightly unsatisfactory situation in a sense that they'll have to make up their own minds. What does durable mean? Mm, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> I think a lot of the people who would have traditionally been on the, on the yes side of this debate would have said that many children live in homes with, you know, a grandmother at the head or, or more, more commonly even a single parent at the head of the family and that they, they are no less a family than another that has a, a nuclear family, I suppose, with a man and a woman at the head of the family. Um, but if it's got this sort of wishy-washy durable family and the courts are, are to define it, will voters accept that? And will they like the fact that we're putting something into the constitution that isn't crystal clear. And we have seen people like the um, 
the Women's Council coming out and advocating a yes vote. Yes, but not wholeheartedly. Um, they are saying that uh, a no vote would be seriously regressive and that uh, women's role uh, defined in this way for since you know, the 30s has been and even at that time it was rejected by feminists in 1937 that 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 definition was not supported by feminists. So they're saying that really this is this neat this article needs to be removed in particular the, the woman in the home piece. Um, but they're saying that, um, you know, to vote no would be regressive, but they're they're not super fully behind it, four square behind it, let's say. But also other people, Ivana Bacic is one, has described it as weak uh, and, and Labour were saying that they couldn't again throw their full support behind it because it didn't go as far as, say, the Constitutional Convention recommended to, to recognise care in the home a bit more broadly than that. Michal, I guess as well, the other thing that the government will need to be mindful of is the whole question of voter turnout on something like this. Yeah, and I mean, this was in the programme for government, but it was taking so long to get the wording right. I mean, there was a view maybe that it mightn't happen at all. Now it is. It's deemed as an important one. But referendums are won and lost. Does it make a huge amount of difference to government? I think coming into such a key year, though, given that they have identified it as a priority, put a big effort into getting the wording. Uh, if it was defeated, that would put them on the back foot and it would be something of a blow for them. I think, going into those local and European elections. Will we see politicians going to the doorsteps on this? Will they? Will we see them out and about campaigning? Some. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, what, I think on that point, probably something that has been notable around Leinster House this week, which is an off week, really, given that the doll doesn't come back until Wednesday, is that there are loads and loads of politicians in here and they've been in here from early on Monday. And that is all because... This is a key political year. It's so many elections around and so many contests. So I think for that reason, the possibility or the chance to get out on doorsteps at all in such a year probably will see uh, more than usual out for the referendum. All right, we'll leave it there. Michal Lahan and Julia Gash, thanks very much for joining us on the Europolitics podcast. We'll be back same time next week. In the meantime, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and we'll talk to you then. 